She was driving along with her kids. She had divorced. She had her three teens in the back seat, and she's driving along. Stops the car because in front of them on the road is a at least four foot tall owl. Owls don't get that size. Uh, I looked it up. <laughs> there are no scientifically recorded owls of that size. I'm not saying that they don't, because there are certainly accounts of people who were. Report very large owls, but this she says was not normal. While it looked like a normal owl, it was far too big. She drove right up to it, trying to get it to move, and it just stared right at them, locking gazes. And the kids are going out of their mind, like "Mama!" And on the reservation where you know she grew up, owls were considered a very bad omen, and people would like you know shoo them and get them. They were considered connected to evil spirits. Welcome back. I'm here again with a perennial favorite, Preston Dennett. Preston, welcome back. It's always good to see you again, man. Hey, always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. And the audience loves seeing you. So today we're going to talk about some research that you've consolidated and done a lot of work on, and that is humanoid ETs and high strangeness. Now, Let's just get started. In terms of this concept, how are these two related? And if you could briefly describe the link or the interaction between the two. Well, I've always been fascinated by the fact that pretty much universally all reports of alleged extraterrestrials are humanoid in form. And of course, many different types from greys to praying mantis, insectoids or reptilians or tall whites, little blue beings, short little hairy dwarves. I mean, you name it, human looking even, ones that look pretty much exactly like us. They're all humanoid. And I find that fascinating. And I think it has profound implications, particularly because some of them are reported to look exactly like us, which really raises serious questions about our own origins, our own relationship to these guys. And of course, the fact that a lot of people are reporting interbreeding or hybrids and this sort of thing <laughs> also, I think, points towards our relationship being a lot closer and then possibly sharing DNA with us or mm-hmm. a common heritage, which is certainly something a lot of contactees have been told directly from the ETs themselves. But I've also noticed over the years, certainly, that there's a tendency for researchers to edit out high strangeness aspects of people's accounts. And I understand that, particularly, you know, years ago when this was a subject that was not accepted by the mainstream whatsoever. That's changing a little bit. But I know for a fact, because I've talked to people whose accounts have appeared in other researchers' books, that their accounts were not portrayed in their entirety not accurately because paranormal aspects you know bizarre events were purposefully left out and i think a researcher's attempt to not go too far off the edge and Mm -hmm. report stuff that's going to make people reject the whole subject immediately which is a real problem because let's face it when someone encounters et's telepathy for example is very consistent levitation movement through solid objects all kinds of stuff along these lines which you know will drive any mainstream scientist right up the wall it's a big pill to swallow when you Mm -hmm. start bringing in bigfoot and ghosts and precognition and all the stuff you know mediumship levitation that comes with a ufo account but here's the problem Yeah, I understand that that's a big pill to swallow, but you're not solving any mysteries. If you're, you know, altering the evidence (laughs) that you are editing it, I don't think it's the right thing to do. I've never done it personally, but I've certainly felt some hesitation to report. I remember very early on, I had a case where a person had a UFO move off and she says it actually turned transparent. 
and then disappeared. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. To advertise on Through Glass Darkly, email thrillglassdarkly ads at gmail.com. My first impulse was, do I report this in my write-up of the account? And of course, I'm like, well, I have to, because this is what the witness reported. Mm -hmm. But I hadn't heard of anything like that. Now I have, of course, many times. And I think that's because people are becoming more amenable to including the full story. But yeah, Mm -hmm. in my recent book, which I've titled Humanoids and High Strangeness, I really embraced that because I really think it's an important thing that we have to do. If we're going to, quote, solve any mysteries <laughs> regarding this whole subject. When you were doing this book, and the book will be in the links below, what was the range of high strangeness from slightly off kilter, right? I would put that transparent UFO craft as kind of slightly off kilter because people could imagine a nuts and bolts answer for that, right? Which would be like a cloaking device or something that just reflects what's around it. Like literally you could have millions of tiny sensing devices that could sense what's in front of the craft and then project that on the back of the craft in terms of like a LED something or other. But you could imagine a technical solution for that. I'm not saying that's what it is. It's probably something that we don't quite understand yet, but that's one way modern humans could replicate something like that. So that would be kind of on the slightly off kilter to the truly bizarre high strangeness. As an example, if you take in the hunt for skinwalker, that book by George Knapp and Colm Kelleher, like the dog men in smoking jackets and cigars, right? Like that sort of stuff. It's almost as if it's designed for people to be ridiculed so that they won't be believed that something strange happened. I'm not saying that's all the cases. I'm just saying like just stuff that's so strange that the mainstream world would ridicule people for even suggesting and wouldn't believe the rest of their story. So from those two kind of bookends, what's the most extreme that you've seen on the high strangeness? Oh, gosh. You know, that's... A difficult question to answer in terms of which is most extreme. There's a lot of examples of varying kinds of high strangeness, but I would link most of it to various paranormal subjects. Here's an example. One lady I interviewed was in her classroom, and she said suddenly there was this sort of buzzing noise and everybody froze except her. And she's looking around going, what's going on? And then she realized that she couldn't move either. And there was a period of missing time, and it lifted. She didn't see any grays or anything like that. Though I do have examples of this in other cases that I've looked at, not personally interviewed. But she's had a lot of experiences. She linked this event to her UFO experiences. And it lifted, and the students immediately started just going on with normal, and the teacher... (laughs) looked around and said, what the heck was that? And immediately the class ended and everyone was acting oddly. No one was talking about it, which is certainly something we see. Or Someone will have an extremely strange event and they don't talk about it. That's high strangeness to me. You'd think if something very odd happened, you would immediately want to discuss it. Another case, which was really, I found quite odd, was this gentleman I interviewed, Galen Sharp, who contacted me because he wanted some answers about what happened to him. And he described how as a young boy, he had a visitation by what he believes to be an elf. (laughs) 
And he started describing this as a little being who came in through the wall the first time, came right through the wall where there was a bookcase. Mind you, he's five years old. Mm -hmm. This is in Colorado. And started just introduced himself, gave a name. Galen does not want to give the name he's because it's personal for some reason. And I'm like, okay, well, that's fine. I'm not going to push that. But he said this gentleman was about his height, so three to four feet tall, bald, was clearly an adult, had old wrinkly skin, but very large round eyes, kind of a turned up nose, generally human looking, but off, different, wearing a little green short jacket, trousers, brown leather boots, and was very playful and just kind of made him laugh doing little jokes and off we went through the wall. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When the United States and China clash, the world will never be the same, especially when forces beyond reality threaten to intervene. What if the United States went to war with the People's Republic of China? How would these rivals fight for supremacy on land, sea, air, and across the stochastic streams of time? What wonder weapons would be unleashed? What horrors would emerge from the irradiated sludge of the South China Sea? What heroes would rise and forever change the course of history? Tread into the deepest and darkest dimensions of the multiverse, gaze through a kaleidoscope of fractured realities, and bear witness to the disturbing visions of World War III from today's greatest minds in science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Weird World War, China. Available now from Bain Books at Bain.com. So Galen, of course, runs and tells his mom, who says, oh, well, you have an imaginary friend. And Galen tried to tell her, no, no, I saw this. <laughs> and she, of course, says, oh, how cute, you know, aren't you adorable? <laughs> and it, it, of course, happened again, a second, third, fourth time, always the same. He's alone, usually in the living room, sometimes in his bedroom. And this being would come in and sometimes converse, talking about philosophical things that kind of went over his head, would sometimes pick objects up and tossed them around, but never touched him. It would not let him touch it, which was a detail that was strange enough that he remarked on. When and you say philosophical things, did you get a, a sense of what broad topics? To uh, life after death, life on other worlds, spirituality. He ended up becoming an author on you know duality and these kinds of subjects and he links that to his early childhood experiences but he says honestly i can't tell you i don't really remember what he talked about only that it blew my mind and was way over my head and it was deeply spiritual and involved these kind of esoteric topics but no he couldn't pin it down but he says preston this happened to me i'm telling you this is absolutely a real experience he says, I was not an only child. I had plenty of friends. My parents were in no way abusive. There's no reason for me to have an imaginary friend. This came out of the blue. And it had a kind of an interesting denouement or an ending to all this. One of the last experiences he had, there were two of them. One was slightly taller. He's like, this is my friend. I wanted to introduce you. <laughs> the elf like being said, said this to Galen. And again, they were very playful, throwing objects around and doing things to make him laugh. And off they went. 
And his parents said, well, you know, we're, we're moving. We have to move. And Galen was disappointed because this went on over a year. So he thought, well, next time these guys come, I'm going to ask them if they'll come with me. And this ended up being their last conversation, their last meeting, because the same little being showed up and Galen said, you know, I'm moving. Can you come with me to my new house? And the being got an expression of sadness and said, no, we are not allowed to leave this location. We can't go with you. So that really upset Galen and they moved shortly later and that was the end of it. But I talked to him in depth trying to think, could this be what we call a screen memory? Because a lot of people who see ETs, particularly as young children, report things like this. Clown-like figures, superheroes, Barbie dolls, teddy bears, all kinds of variations of characters. And he's like, listen, you know, I thought of that. You know, I actually did research into UFOs trying to figure out what happened to me. He says, I don't think that fits. He says he's never had any fear. He's never had missing time. He did see a UFO with his wife as an adult later on in life. One close-up sighting and another somewhat distant. But he was absolutely struck by the eyes of this being, which were very large and very hypnotic and kind of look right through you, which is a very consistent feature of ET reports. And that's what really made me scratch my head and wonder about this. But he insists up and down that, no, I don't think this was ET. So I ended up, you know, real quick doing research into elves, which, you know, as we know, are certainly a lot of historical accounts of this. But I was shocked to find out that it hasn't stopped. There are people today reporting encounters with elf-like beings. And I put Galen's account in the book and did a little video on it for my YouTube channel and was amazed to hear a good 20 people or so say that this happened to them. Thank you for putting this up because no one ever believes me. And some of them had multiple witnesses. I mean, one account that really kind of struck a chord with me was a kid said that he had this elf-like being come through the wall and was playing around with his toys. And he woke up and this being was holding one of his matchbox cars. And as soon as he sat up in bed and looked at it, the elf or whatever it was <laughs> kind of looked very shocked and surprised to see that he was being observed and darted through the wall, still holding the matchbox car, which hit the wall <laughs> and tumbled to the ground and spun around. And that's the kind of detail that makes you wonder, like, could people be making this kind of stuff up? But yeah, What's the that profile? was high strangeness to me. Is there anything that's common about the people who report these experiences? I've heard this from people who tend to have Irish descent in some way, related to the Fae, things like that. And I think we talked yeah. about, we loosely touched on that on a previous episode. But do you notice any similarities like that in the demographic profiles of the people you talk to? The only real pattern I saw was that a good number of them were with kids, half. But there were some fully adult people. And these cases are coming from all over the world, of course. There's a lot more in the Scandinavian countries where it's definitely a thing. Mm-hmm. But I was shocked, you know, doing the research on it to see that this was widely reported of course in the 1800s but still reported throughout the 1900s all the way up to pretty much the present day and i've interviewed a few people who said that they've seen fairy beings with little wings kind of always put these on the back burner because it's just so hard yeah it's so fantastical that people yeah i mean there's a account of a guy seeing an elf who's smoking a pipe I'm thinking to myself, okay, you know what? Who made the pie? <laughs> Where are these clothes coming from? Because you know, these are little beings, you know, two, three feet high. And they appear to be interdimensional, much in the nature of, you know, perhaps Sasquatch, which there are cases of Sasquatch or Bigfoot disappearing and walking through solid objects, coming into people's homes. I mean, that was another high strangeness case from England involving this gentleman who had an encounter, he had various paranormal encounters. He had an angelic encounter at a hospital involving his ill son. 
he had a ghost encounter at his home. But as a kid, he had this very strange encounter with a short, hairy humanoid. When he was about, I think it was seven years old, it was on his birthday, and he was playing with his Tonka truck, a little bulldozer, you know, lifting logs and things like this, and waiting for his dad to wake up. And he was feeling a little lonely. So he went to his dad's room, who was still sleeping, and he just crawled in and laid down next to him, waiting for him to wake up. And the door was ajar. It wasn't closed. When he noticed that something was fiddling with the doorknob, he heard it. He opened his eyes and looked at it, and he could see a shadow being exerted on the wall of a short being. And he's like, why is it fiddling with the door handle? <laughs> you know, the door's ajar. I can just, you know, need to use the doorknob. But it was. And then it pushed the door open, and he got a real fright, because this was a three-foot-tall, hairy, Bigfoot-looking creature with small, dark eyes, but, you know, sharp teeth. And it turned, and it looked right at him. He's like, this was absolutely real. I wasn't asleep. I never fell asleep. I never woke up. And it was fairly close to him, just six feet away or so. And they locked gazes and it's just staring at him so this thing looked evil he contacted me after hearing me on a podcast like yours um, and wanted to know you know was this a big foot was this a demon was this an et and so we went over his whole account and he said it lasted just a few minutes if that and he at one point hid under his blanket and thinking just go away just go away and lifted the blanket up and it's still looking right at him he was too scared to even wake up his father. He tried. He's like nudging him, nudging him, nudging him. But his father wouldn't wake up. And I wonder about that because that is a detail we see in entity encounters where one person is kind of put into what you might call a psychic sleep or something's going on where they're rendered or, unconscious. Or time stopped for everybody but the target. Or right. Whatever. Yeah. Well, that's another aspect of high strangeness too that we haven't even touched on yet. But he couldn't wake his father up. And finally, this being just backed up. He could see the shadow still disappearing, closed the door until it was where it was before, and was gone. And he woke up his dad screaming, and his dad's like, you had a nightmare? And he's like, no, no, I never fell asleep. This was fully conscious. And his dad didn't know what to think, but it was obvious. What was his name? Tim, I think it was. Tim Daly? Something along those lines. I'd have to look it up. But he didn't had no answers for it until about, I think it was five years later, he's up in the attic looking through a box of books and opened up a found a book on Bigfoot and his page and through it. And there was an illustration of a Bigfoot. He's like, well, that's the closest to what he saw. But the problem is this is England, you know, and this is in someone's house. <laughs> How is a baby Bigfoot in someone's house? <laughs> I don't know about that. But I have to say, I do have three or four accounts of people who woke up and there was a Bigfoot in their bedroom. <laughs> just standing there, just kind of mm -hmm. looking at them or? Full on stinky, eight foot tall Bigfoot. They could smell oh. it? Yep. Well, in one case. Yeah, it stunk up the whole room, she said. And But that's super rare. I don't know how many accounts of Bigfoot documented, but it's easily in the tens of thousands. And I could only find like four or five of Bigfoot in people's houses in a closed room. I mean, it's one thing for a Bigfoot to you know reach in through the window or break the door down, which there are a few cases, historical mostly. <laughs> England is not known for Bigfoot. No, uh, not at all. <laughs> ultimately, I don't think it was a spiritual being because he said this thing was absolutely 100% solid and moved the door and exerted the shadow. This doesn't sound like an apparition. So I don't know. It's really hard to interpret some of these things. Hard what happened say. in that case? The Bigfoot being was just standing there and staring and then left or did they interact? It, in the other case, not the English one, but the one with the girl, they had 
used a Ouija board <laughs> earlier oh, in the evening. Yeah. And yeah. there was a power outage that night following their using of the Ouija board and scared all the girls. It was a birthday party type thing. And they all went home. It was that night that she had this eight foot tall, Bigfoot like being, which makes me wonder, you know, could that have been a demonic spirit? But it gave the appearance of a Bigfoot. And that's the other thing, too. There's a chance that some subset of these incidents could manipulate our perceptions in different ways, can project us to see some of the stranger things. And there are things that even the U.S. government does today to encourage or enforce behavior that people don't realize. So I'll give you an example. When you sign up for a driver's license, right, and you get your driver's license, you're automatically opt-in to organ donation, right? Now, you can get it removed if you specifically take that action, but it's like this implied consent because it plays on the natural human emotion to if somebody already makes a decision for you, you don't really question it. You kind of just move on. That's a very rudimentary example of what I'm talking about, a more sophisticated entity, civilization, ultra-terrestrial, whatever, might have that sort of technology where they can alter your perceptions. Or if it's more paranormal, it could just appear that way in whatever form it chooses. So I'm just propositing that as a potential explanation for some of these i'm not saying i mean it could be none of them who knows but when you see these things how do you classify them how do you determine if they're demonic or et or something else yeah well there was one lady i interviewed who swore up and down that she had a demonic visitation in the marriott hotel <laughs> i'm like okay just tell me what happened and she says well the room filled with light and I saw this short little being with a big head standing on the foot of my bed. I was paralyzed, and it was very thin. It had this large oval head. And as I questioned her and dug into some other previous incidents, it was clear that she was describing a UFO encounter. And that was pretty cut and dry. People around her were having encounters as well. There was She fit the profile. But there was another time I was interviewing this these people from Illinois who called me because they were having problems with ghosts. At least that's what it looked like at first, because they're describing footsteps and doors opening and closing and objects being moved and a sense of being watched. And so it, I was just going, okay, this sounds very much like a haunting. And they said, well, we haven't told you everything. There's this object that's hovering over our house at night. <laughs> Right. Oh, gosh. You know, and that was a case where I was honestly baffled because they're reporting very UFO-ish things and very ghostly things. And I've certainly looked into the whole demonic theory of UFOs, and I reject it as an explanation for most UFO encounters. Because if you look into the whole history of it, whether, you know, it's traditional theology or more modern researchers like Ed and Lorraine Warren and other people and all the history of exorcism have they commented on ufos the not Warrens? so much no okay i wouldn't think they so. really haven't but i don't know they certainly believe that they're dealing with demonic spirits and their research is pretty thorough though i feel like it's somewhat how would i put this looked at through the lens of their belief system right which is what is really going on here so when people report something coming into their bedroom and they're reporting it as this or that, they're using their worldview, their own belief system to interpret it, which is why I love child witnesses, because they don't have a developed belief system and often will just report exactly what they're seeing. Like it was a being that was filled with light, which an older person who's got religious background is going to or something. Yeah. yeah. But I can tell you, looking to the whole demonic hauntings and having investigated some very demonic cases, it follows a very set pattern. 
which is completely different from UFOs. But speaking towards high strangeness, here's another example. I was interviewing these two young ladies, both aspiring actresses, but mm-hmm. had other jobs. One was a waitress, I believe, and one did phone sales. And they had decided to rent an apartment in Van Nuys, California, because they couldn't afford to live alone. They wanted to be independent and they were good friends. So they found this apartment, which was super cheap. They're like, wow, it's a pretty cheap apartment for you know mm-hmm. its size and location. Yep, red flag. <laughs> right. Red flag. And immediately after they moved in, both started to notice paranormal activity, which wasn't the entire range of what we often hear, including footsteps, cold spots, strange noises, objects moving, a lot of this kind of activity, and really started to ramp up. It began with knocking noises on the wall, Mm -hmm. which to me was an immediate red flag, because that's often how demonic hauntings will begin, with knocking noises. And they complained to the manager. <laughs> they said, you need to tell our neighbor to stop knocking on the wall. And the manager said, he moved out last week because he thought you were knocking on the wall. And knocking was still going on. Three knocks, boom, 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 which is another thing you often hear this, you know, the symbology of three. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I could go talk on and on about this case, but in brief, it escalated very quickly and i mean they invited a friend over to set up their stereo and he started looking around and got very nervous clammed up fixed their stereo as fast as he could and says i'm leaving and they're like wait wait don't you want to stay and hang out and he's like no 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 and they called him up afterwards he's like they were like what's the deal and you ran out there like you were scared to death he says you have lemurs in your house and they're like lemurs what are you talking about he's like they're these big-eyed little ghostly things that i see i'm psychic you know i can see these things you have bad spirits in your house they looked at each other like oh god (laughs) other people are seeing this everyone they'd invite over would have an experience and it ended up having full-on apparitions black apparitions which were running across the hallway and then came and attacked one of the girls held her down entered inside of her she was choking. She couldn't breathe. The other couldn't lift her up off the bed. And it was a bad deal. They ended up moving out. And there's a denouement to this, which connects it weirdly to UFOs. I called up the manager and she's like, I'm so glad you called. You know, everyone in this building is having problems. Their neighbor was. She had a full on apparition sighting. It turned out to be a retirement building where people were dying all the time because they were very old. There was always an ambulance picking somebody up. And there was a lot going on there. So they move out and had a little bit of activity. I mean, they were at a restaurant once and the table started shaking. The gumball, they're like, let's go. It's following the gumball machine was at the front door. This is at Cafe 50s. I went there and to verify there was, in fact, the gumball machine they were talking about. Started going, right, shaking back and forth. And so the waiter turned absolutely white as a sheet. There's a cashier. And they're like, gosh, you know, this whatever is following us, I mean, whatever we have, it's following us. They moved out and, and tapered off very quickly and ended. But it was about a week or two after they moved to another apartment that they both woke up hearing this really loud buzzing noise. And both of them thought, well, here we go. You know, something else weird is happening. And it's just getting louder and louder. Finally, they... Mm-hmm out of bed and run out to the balcony and there above the apartment building is this giant v-shaped craft as soon as they see it it flashes all its lights at them they had a definite sense of communication i guess you might call it like it knew they were watching and they said it was a classic ufo i mean you're a v-shaped object not you know a helicopter or plane or anything they said it was a couple hundred feet tops tilted at an angle and they immediately connected it in some way to this haunting that they had just escaped from and i have to wonder about it because i had you know a number of cases like that like one guy had a bigfoot encounter (laughs) he had a ufo land in his backyard in tahunga canyon which borders the la national forest which is a half million acres of wilderness right outside of la it's Mm -hmm. a huge 
and there was nothing there. So he, whatever this land was that landed in his yard, it wasn't a car or anything. There's nothing out there. But the next night, he had a Bigfoot encounter, and it was in that same exact spot. And he had a telepathic connection to it. This was my first Bigfoot case. I didn't know that people report telepathic connection to Bigfoot, but apparently that is a thing. Mm. But then he had a poltergeist outbreak. And he connected all three of these together. And that's certainly the pattern of high strangeness I see, is when someone has a big encounter, there's an eruption of paranormal activity, usually following it, sometimes in the middle of it or preceding it. But more typically, a person will be taken on board and put back and poltergeist activity starts erupting. So two things. Is the poltergeist activity related more toward the individual, i.e., are they the ones making it happen through psychokinetic activity, electrical activity, that whatever their experience with those ETs resulted from, they were somehow altered? That's question one. Or question two, with demonic activity, do sometimes... Uh, what we call demons, sometimes do they masquerade themselves as UFOs? I'm not making the argument that that's what all UFOs are, but I'm just saying, is there a small subset that fits into this, like, Jack Parsons, Alistair Crowley sort of subset? Yeah, well, I'll answer the second question first, which is no. I have personally not been able to find any cases that I find you know, credible in the literature where demonic spirits masquerade as a gray or a human or a mantid or anything like that. Not to say that witnesses don't feel like this is a demonic spirit, but when you talk to them, it doesn't match what you see with demonic hauntings. It's certainly like a craft. No, the demonic phenomena is a spiritual phenomena. It's a spiritual entity which certainly can affect the environment, yes. And yeah, there are people who are almost exclusively religious who feel that UFO encounters can be explained that way. But I can tell you that when someone has an ET encounter and they're pulled on board a craft or they're healed, mm -hmm. demonic spirits don't heal people. That's not their goal. They're there to scare the pants off of you. That's what they do. Whatever they are, however you want to explain their origins, it's something that is all about instilling fear in a person. So I separate those two phenomena for the most part. But again, there's bleed throughs that are hard to explain. For example, you know, answering the first question, when someone has an encounter and then suddenly they're having all this weird activity, I think it's exactly what you said. It's the person themselves who has had an alteration in their physiology perhaps because there's cases of people who have a really bad fever and psychokinetic activity goes on around them or an illness of some kind or a near-death experience or trauma a head injury even will have weird activity going on and certainly poltergeist activity has been connected very much to teenagers who are going through puberty and who are under a lot of stress and dissociating to a degree but absolutely, and here's a case that speaks very well to this. This lady had an encounter. She lived in Mount Rainier, Washington. Mm -hmm. Had an encounter with your typical little silver-suited short guys who came into her room. And, you know, it was a big bright light. There was a buzzing noise. She thought everyone in the building, she's in an apartment building, has to be hearing this. Nobody did. She woke up on top of her covers in a way that, with the bed made, it made zero sense. So she was pretty sure something physically happened because she had other physical evidence and previous encounters as well. But yeah, full on conscious, saw these little beings in her room, had missing time, woke up the next morning feeling very fluish on top of her covers and nobody in the building saw anything. She goes to work and immediately turns on her computer and blows it out. She's like, well, that's weird. And she called the IT guy over and she said, can you fix my computer? I'm going to go make copies. Blew out the copier. 
pulled it right offline. She's like, something is going on here. She says, as soon as you're finished with my computer, <laughs> copier here needs work. And he's like, what did you do? She's like, I don't know. I just touched it. I didn't do anything. And goes over to the fax machine, bam, pulls that offline. So having interviewed a lot of contactees who've blown up computers and had light, one guy, his contactee says, you wouldn't believe my light bulb bill. <laughs> light bulbs are constantly exploding around me. He ended up contacting Thelma Moss at the UCLA parapsychology department who said, actually, these light bulbs, because he provided them, are not exploding, they're imploding. And I mean, I've got one guy, well, it was the same guy, actually. He worked as a welder at an auto factory, a former Marine. They called him into the boss's office because he had this big, giant welding machine he worked on that every time he went on it, it would blow up, go offline, break fuses. And no one else was doing it. So they called him in and they're like, what's up? <laughs> How are you breaking this machine? He's like, I am not doing it. They said, yes, you are. It's only you who has a problem with this machine. And they said, we want you to submit to a, <laughs> a medical examination. And they said, maybe it's your iron boots. He's like, I wear these all the time. You know, it's you know, these you know steel-tipped boots. Right. But they did. They took him into an examination and found nothing wrong with him. Though the dentist did find a weird object in his jaw, which he really wanted to remove because it shouldn't have been there. And he's like, no, 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 I'm not letting you operate on me. And wouldn't tell them, you know, his history of encounters. But yeah, I think there's some alteration in a person's bioelectric field, perhaps, because they'll walk by a TV and it will buzz up. Contactees, by and large, complain about watches because they, they wear a watch and it will break almost immediately. Or all kinds of little details like this, which point towards this being something to do with our physiology being altered in some way. I mean, I just recently interviewed this lady who had an encounter, came home, things started flying off the shelves. And I'm like, that's you. <laughs> that is you. And she, she's like, you know, I kind of thought so. But having interviewed so many people who've had this, I'm per that's my conclusion. Because once you come back from an encounter, then some people start seeing shadow people. They'll start experiencing mediumship, precognition, channeling, spontaneous levitation following an encounter. This is not the ETs lifting them up or in a beam of light or anything. They will come back and float around. That happened to the Marine officer I interviewed as a kid. I was like, you're not going to believe this. But they, you know, they took me on board. I came back. I went into my room. I laid down and I floated right up to the ceiling. And this was not the ETs doing it because it and happened. And that's over physical and over levitation. Again. That's not like confusion without a body, anything. It's like no. physical levitation. Yeah. And some of it has been viewed by outside witnesses. Like one of the ladies in the book who is a contactee, her mom on her deathbed said, Honey, I want to tell you something. When you were two years old, I came to your crib and you were floating above it, just <laughs> floating in the air above her crib which she doesn't remember. She doesn't remember that at all. But her mom said, who's ever doing that? Put her down right now. And she slowly floated down. So I don't know if someone was doing that. I think that's, you know, we have a natural ability of human levitation. I certainly looked into it. I ended up writing a whole book on levitation alone. And it's reported in every culture. And there's 300 examples, and it's been tested in a laboratory setting, proven on at least four occasions, in very strict, stringent conditions. Levitation is 100% real. If you look into it, it's astounding. There's a lot of this stuff. The more you research it, the more you find that there are piles and heaps of documented evidence of all this phenomena, right? Are you familiar with the skull experiments? Oh, I think so. Is that the, the one where they used a Ouija board to contact an entity. Yeah, I don't know if it was a it, it may have been, but, but they certainly used seances in this like yeah. in this room and it was a multi-year long I do remember experiment. Yeah. And they invited any scientists that wanted to come in and see what happened and they have video of entities coming in 
talking to them. They would bring cameras in and something would start snapping photos. Uh, and then even without cameras, they would bring in sealed Polaroid film and they would certify it was sealed. Then they would remove the film and it would have messages on it, not photos, but like written messages and very ornate like somebody it wasn't like they were writing on film or drawing pictures on film i haven't spent any time researching levitation but i absolutely believe you because the moment you start researching this stuff there's probably several videos where someone's actually levitating but it's like systematically suppressed in some way because you have to seek these things out i didn't know about the skull experiments until earlier this week. And there's other weird things. Have you heard of the Philip experiments in Canada? Sure have, yeah. That's mm -hmm. really weird, right? So did somebody assume the identity of this entity? I think or so. did they or <laughs> yeah. did they or did they create it themselves like a tulpa? I don't know, but they created a whole history of this thing that they just well and that that's a whole other meta discussion. Did something yeah. that was already Philip put those ideas in their heads and then they thought that they invented it right there's so many ways you can look at it but the nature of the experiment was they created this entity with a whole personal history and stuff like that and then they invited psychics in to commune with this entity without telling them anything and they started reporting the history that they quote unquote invented so there's some like you are on this rabbit hole there is a lots of weird documented evidence of this sort of thing have you ever interviewed chris robinson no. christopher robinson you should actually because he helped mi5 and mi6 over like a 30-year period he would have these precognitive dreams but there were these ets that would appear in his dreams that would or at least he ascribes that ability to them to telling them what he was doing but he was involved in foiling ira plots and all sorts of stuff because he would see this stuff early on and just extremely high strangeness associated you should also verified you know that yeah precognition oh, for example that Ever was my point. Wales disaster <laughs> you may have heard of that where a landslide basically buried a school and killed dozens of children they looked into it and there were some 50 instances of precognition yeah of people who saw this beforehand very well oh. attested there's a guy who wrote a book, his name's Eric Wargo, called Time Loops, and he looks at, before Titanic, there were a bunch of books that came out about the ship that was going to sink. One, I think, one book was called The Titania, or something like, like, like really, really close. Yep. Anyway, there's a lot of evidence on it, but my point about Christopher Robinson is, there's a professor at the University of Arizona, I think it's Dr. Gary E. Schwartz who ran these experiments called the God experiments. It's like G period O period D period. There's a book you can get, but he was given or he was going to be given 10 targets to remote view while he was there. And he had dreams before he even left before they even chose the targets. And accurately described the targets 100 percent and when they presented the results you know of course there were members of the intelligence community who showed up and were very interested so chris mellon was there he knows chris mellon anyway the other person you should talk to if you haven't already have you ever interview interviewed lynn buchanan oh but i know who he is yeah remote viewer right so he had an et experience where he woke up on a craft anyway i'm not going to get into it but growing up he had these pk incidents and he had one really really big one that basically shut off all the skiffs on the western side of the iron curtain because he got really angry at one of his co-workers who sabotaged him in front of all these generals and it just took it out. And that's how he got recruited to the remote viewing program. It was the Augsburg incident. It happened in Augsburg, Germany. He found out after the Cold War that the same exact thing happened on the Russian side. Wow. He like fried everything. So anyway, I think this is more of a 
intelligence community propaganda film, but in terms of to try to dismiss all this stuff, the men who stared at goats. Have you seen that movie? George Clooney. Yeah, I enjoyed it. He's George Clooney's character is based on an amalgamation of three characters, one of whom is Lynn Buchanan. Wow. So when he's walking yeah. by those computers and those are frizzing out, that was supposed to be a stand-in for that incident. <laughs> Interesting. Anyway, the next question I want to ask you about these high strangeness incidents is, I'm sure you're probably absolutely familiar with Mike Cleland and owls. And not just owls, but animals. Is there any high strangeness in your reports that are associated with certain animals? I know owls is a big one and certainly comment on that, but is that something else that you see? Absolutely. I mean, owls for sure. There's one lady who had some real high strangeness. I'm glad you brought that up because she had a lot of it. I mean, she started out as a young girl having entities coming into her room, some ghostly activity, a lot of precognition. Her father was a musician. Her mother was a teacher and an artist, so a very creative family. But a lot of visitations of various entities that which she had difficulty interpreting or categorizing, I guess would be a better word. And she ended up marrying a Native American fellow and moving on to a reservation. And they had a very different viewpoint towards all of this. They called these beings weapoos. And they said they can take on any form that you ascribe to them. And they will show themselves in a different way. We're very familiar with them. We've had encounters with them for centuries. She was really intrigued by that because when the more she looked into it, she was seeing, you know, grays. But they were like, no, 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 these are different. This is something else. Hmm. But she had a lot of different types of entity sightings and a lot of real high strangeness. She had a missing time encounter once while babysitting. Typical UFO, missing time. But then had this weird experience, <laughs> which is so odd. She really wanted some long underwear for Christmas because all her mm -hmm. friends were horseback riding and it was cold where she lived in Julian. This is in Southern California, but up in the mountains where there's lots of snow. And she had a horse and go horseback riding and was freezing her butt off. And they were a very poor family, you know, being an artist and a musician. They didn't have a whole lot of money to spare. Christmas comes around and she didn't get the present she wanted. Uh, they gave her, you know, a little book on horses and a journal. And she was so disappointed and depressed and gets on her horse and goes running out into the wilderness with no direction planned and sees this thing hanging in a tree. It's a brand new pair of long underwear, spotless, hanging on a tree branch. She rode up to it because she couldn't believe her eyes. <laughs> this became a whole family anecdote for years because there's no way someone would leave this out there. And how would they know where she's going to? She had a big, long, year-long encounter with a tree spirit in her dreams, which she talked to and gave her great comfort after she had been physically attacked by a bully at school, beaten up to the point where she was nearly hospitalized. So she was somewhat of a loner. But had that weird encounter. And just, I mean, it went on from there. She was driving along with her kids. She had divorced. She had her preteens in the back seat, and she's driving along, stops the car because in front of them on the road is a at least four foot tall owl. Owls don't get that size. Mm -hmm. uh, I looked it up. <laughs> there are no scientifically recorded owls of that size i'm not saying that they don't because there are certainly accounts of people who were report very large owls but this she says was not normal and while it looked like a normal owl it was far too big she drove right up to it trying to get it to move and it just stared right at them locking gazes and the kids are going out of their mind like mama and on the reservation where you know she grew up owls were considered a very bad omen and People would like, you know, shoo them and get them. They were considered connected to evil spirits. And where and was this reservation? This, what state? That would have been, oh gosh. Yeah, that was California, I believe, or Colorado. It's either one of those. Because she moved from California to Colorado at some point. 
actually went to Germany with her husband, who was in the military, and had an encounter there <laughs> with uh, apparently these little gray guys, which her son started seeing as well, because he didn't want to talk about it. She's like, well, why don't you just draw me what you saw? And he drew exactly what she had seen. And he refuses to talk about it. She pinned him down once, like, honey, you need to talk about it. He says, I don't want to. I don't want to talk about it. It scares me. And to this day, won't. But yeah, regarding this owl, they finally just pushed the car forward until it was about to run over the darn thing, and it took off. But she says, Preston, that wasn't an owl. Whatever that was, it may have looked like an owl. It was four feet tall. It flew like an owl. I mean, everything about it was an owl, but nope. And I have to tell you, you know, I interviewed Mike Cleland. I talked to him about this. He's got a million accounts of this. And I have my own that I personally experienced, which cements it for me because I had gone outside one evening. This was like 2019 or so. This is in Reseda, California, very densely populated San Fernando Valley. There's a million people all around you. And I just had a feeling that those darn ETs were out there. And having had a number of sightings, you listen to your intuition, your impulses, mm -hmm. you follow it, and you'll have sightings. This has worked for me, and I know about many cases with people I've interviewed. So I went outside, I'm like, where are you? You know, show yourselves. This is ridiculous. I know you're real. And this flash of light went off, kind of low on the horizon, quite distant. And I thought, well, that means nothing to me. Yeah, what do do? <laughs> yeah, that could be anything. If right. that's you, you know, thanks, but no thanks. You know, you're going yeah, to have to do a lot well, better Welcome than to my world, Preston. <laughs> welcome to my world. Ironically, finding out UFOs were real at age 21 made me more skeptical in a weird way because you had to re-question everything. You know, when you, you have to take a second look at everything dig yeah. deeper because I'd been lied to, I'd been scandalized. The government was a covering up. I mean, this really made me become more analytically minded than I already was. So I'm looking at this, you know, light was so brief. I'm like, well, you know, that's very nice of you if that was you, but I don't believe it because, you know, it was too brief. It could have been anything. Right. I'm going inside. You can do better than that is what I'm thinking. <laughs> Because they have, you know, I have had some honestly, absolutely inexplicable sightings of this nature where you go outside and like, oh my God. So I'm getting ready to walk inside when I see something coming towards me, a very low shape in the shadow. It's a dark night. And I'm looking at it thinking, what the heck is that? And this enormous owl, it's the only time I've ever seen an owl in 10 years living there, came right over my head. <laughs> I mean... 20 feet up, 30, not much more than that. And I looked at it and, you know, I've seen a lot of owls as a child. I grew up in Topanga Canyon, which was filled with owls. And yeah, they can get pretty big, but this one was enormous. And I couldn't hear it. You know, they, they fly almost in perfect silence. Yeah, you can't hear them. Yeah, you can't hear them. Yeah. <laughs> but it was an owl. It was an owl. But I had this weird feeling about the whole thing because I had just kind of cursed. I didn't curse, but you know, I'm like, that's it. That's all you got. You can do it better than that. And that's when this immediately I saw this thing coming towards me. And I'm like, oh, what is And it came not to the side, <laughs> right over my head. And I turned around and watched it go off. I'm like, well, that was interesting. Still ambiguous, you know, could be coincidental. But having interviewed so many people and talked to Mike Clellan, I'm like, well, you know, saw a light, saw an owl, telepathic, you know, was drawn outside. It fits the pattern. So there's weird layers to all of this that if you ignore the high strangeness and the paranormal, you're not getting the whole story. And shame and on those who edited it out. Well, I, I can understand why they edited it out. Because keep in mind, 40 years ago, there was a ton of, there's still a stigma associated with it, but that stigma has lessened over time. You know, in the 1950s, could you imagine? I mean, you start talking about this stuff and something really happened. Somebody shows up at your house and says, 
you know, you're crazy, but if you keep talking about this, there's a big desert out there and there's a lot of places for your body to, to rest forever. Uh, to the Roswell witnesses, some of them. Had that's that exact, exact, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Corso talks about that. And I've talked to people book. who had encounters and were committed by their own family to mental institutions, even though they had supporting witnesses. And they themselves, some of the family members had had encounters, but clearly couldn't accept it. So their only way of dealing with this vocal family member was to lock them up, call them crazy. So I think that's the reason why I think Jacques Vallée has talked about this. There's kind of like incidents on the y-axis and number of incidents and then there's the high strangeness factor from like one to seven and you kind of see it kind of go up to about a three and then it just steadily goes off and this is just in reported sightings but i think the stigma is what it's already fantastical enough for people to tell these you know they seem fantastical if they just say there's you know nuts and bolts air spacecraft that came picked me up right that they only tell a portion of it and they leave out the high strangeness factor because they already don't think they're going to be believed. The last thing you want to do is to talk about the two dogmen and smoker jackets and cigars that appeared in front of them. Right? But if you report it, then other people have the courage to come forth. There was these two brothers in Texas who I interviewed who kept waking up wrapped up in their quilts like burritos following an encounter to where they couldn't move. We're like, the mom, dad, get get us out. <laughs> like, what happened? How did you do this? I'm like, we didn't do it. It was the little blue man. We keep telling you these guys are like, parents wouldn't accept it. They were deeply mm-hmm. religious, wouldn't accept it, never did to the day they died. But I reported that in the book. Another guy who was in the book, of course, read it. And he called me up. He's like, I'm so sorry. I didn't tell you this. <laughs> I didn't think of it. You know, I, I wasn't sure if you would believe me. <laughs> But I'm so glad you put that in there because that exact thing happened to me. I would wake up wrapped up like a Tootsie Roll in my quilts, unable to move. Something did that to me. It was the ETs. I'm not sure why they're doing it. Maybe they have a little bit of a twisted sense of humor or it's a calling card. I suspect that's what it is, a way of letting a person know you had contact. Because I have other cases like that. One lady, she woke up, her bed quilt had been rolled up into a cylinder and tucked under each side of the mattress around her neck. So when she woke up, she's like, huh, I can't get up. And her roommate saw it. I talked to both of them. They verified it. And this is not a single witness anecdote. So these reports of high strangeness, have they been increasing, decreasing, or relatively constant in terms of the incidents over the past several years? There's an increase in reports. I don't think there's an increase in incidents, personally. I just think, like the UFO field, you know, as it reaches respectability and popularity, more people are willing to come forth. Because we've certainly seen an escalation in reports until at mm-hmm. least recently, and we're now they're falling, falling off a cliff. <laughs> very, very few reports uh, really? these days. Uh, Why so- is that? Well, I talked to Dolly Safran, who's my go-to gal when it comes to UFO encounters, and she says they've left. ETs are not here now. Our magnetic field has become so unstable that it's not safe for them to fly. And, you know, I have to give credence to that because I'm not getting firsthand onboard experiences. In the past two years, I haven't gotten a single one. I've gotten one case of a guy in England who had gray come into his room, a little AI gray, which Dolly says that, yeah, they still have some what they call unmanned ET drones with AI grays in them watching over us. But yeah, Dolly showed me an article recently from Australia where they've also verified a strong drop in reports. For whatever reason, if you look at it, statistically speaking yeah there's been a drop of reports so you can ascribe your own reasons to it but i like talking to the contactees because they have a direct connection and firsthand knowledge as opposed to a belief so it's certainly interesting either way 
But the high strangeness, I think, has always been level. It's just been mm-hmm. underreported. Any final words for the audience? Listen to your children if they start describing unusual experiences. I would say that. <laughs> and, and don't look to our government for answers on the UFO subject. They've got a long history of lying. I still think the cover-up is firmly in place. We'll see what 2024 brings, but I don't think our government will ever willingly disclose. It's ultimately up to us to do our own thinking on this subject. That's what I agree I with you people. there. All right. All right, brother. As always, a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. If you enjoyed today's video, please hit like and subscribe and also hit the notification button so you can be notified whenever I post new content. Thank you. Now, if you're enjoying the channel and you want to support it, there are several things you can do. In fact, there are five things you can do. The first thing you can do is just buy my books. I got plenty of books out in the market right now, and I would prefer that folks buy a book rather than giving me direct support because they get something out of it. They have a real tangible product. The second way you can support me is by becoming a member on YouTube or becoming a patron on Patreon. And just go to either site and it'll explain everything. way you can support the channel is by checking out my merch site which is here there's plenty of stuff that you can get to support the channel and i'd appreciate that you you have it and you can wear it not only do you help support the channel but you also help promote the channel and i appreciate that the fourth way that you can support the channel and this is really easy is anytime you want to buy something on amazon literally just go to the description below and click on any link literally any link the channel gets a cut of that, and it costs you no extra money. You just go through the link as I'm part of the Amazon Affiliates Club. The fifth and final way you can support the channel is through donations. Now, I don't prefer these because it's more of an expression of gratitude, but you don't really get anything out of it as a subscriber to the channel. However, if you decide to do these options, there's two options. There's Buy Me a Coffee, which is a separate site, and there's also you can go through YouTube with either a Super Chat, a Super Sticker, or a Super Thanks. Again, I prefer Buy Me a Coffee because that organization takes less money than Amazon does. But either way, I appreciate any support you are willing to give the channel. So thank you very much and keep watching. I really appreciate it.